Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, the show where we talk about movies and more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP, and we have another great episode in store for you guys. CP, how are you doing today? I am great. I hope you enjoyed Halloween. I certainly did. I mean, it's Halloween. You always got to enjoy Halloween, right? Yeah, huge shout out. Mike Soto, Sue and Johnny for throwing a fantastic Halloween party. It's actually not Halloween for me until I go to that party. So <laughs> a couple of years ago, they actually decided they were like, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. They called it. It's their last Halloween party. And lo and behold, give them a little bit of time. And I think they're just addicted to Halloween. So they started throwing parties and it's the holiday is just better for it. Yeah, I love Halloween. I, I also got to watch Ghostbusters. As I said, I, I there's certain movies I watch on actual holiday days. You know, I watch Sandlot on 4th of July. I watch Ghostbusters on Halloween. I watch Home Alone on Christmas. I watch Home Alone often throughout the year but <laughs> yeah that's a given dude we know that yeah great great holiday in addition to uh you know shout out for mike soto i also wanted to give a huge shout out to one of our new listeners again it's the person that i talked to at the other halloween party from a little over a week ago ivor something i want to do it's a little bit different for shout outs but ivor actually heard my shout out on last week's episode and he left us a message so we're gonna go ahead and play that now dustin thank you for the shout out this is the cool guy you met at uh, Terry and Adam's party. My name is Ivor. I had a good time talking to you as well. Uh, just to let you know, I have been practically binging your podcast. I love it. Thank you so much, man. We're do, you think, really... do you think he was mad that you didn't remember his name? Well, you know, it's actually weird because I, I had it. I literally, I, I was talking to my wife. And I told her, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, the party. And then I met and I, I couldn't remember his name. And then she told me, she was like, oh, yeah, that's Ivor. And I was like, OK, cool. And then I don't know what happened. I got here and blanked. So <laughs> it's all the, <laughs> that's it's all a, the pressure, dude. It's a lot that's of pressure. a bad podcast host. You know, I should have, you know, I got notes and I just forgot to write that one down. So, but anyway, more than anything, just so happy that you checked out the show, that you're enjoying the show. And uh, hopefully maybe at some point we can have you on the show. So we'll, we'll get that into uh, discussion. Do you have any shout outs on this week's episode, CP? Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to my brother and sister-in-law having a baby. Way to go, the two of you. Hey, and congratulations. We're getting another fan out of it. So now we're up to like <laughs> seven total listeners. It's going to be amazing. This kid is going going to fall asleep every night listening to Filmmaker's Compass podcast. That's all that we can hope for, man. Congrats, Jeff. Very happy for you guys. So, CP, on this episode, something I wanted to talk, and this is something I've wanted to talk about since the idea of ever doing a podcast has come up, and something I think we may have actively been avoiding, saving it for the right moment. That is Star Wars. <laughs> We do happen to reference, well, okay, you do happen to reference Star Wars almost every single episode of the show, so you got to explain it, what you mean. It has come up in context of discussions we've had on the show, so in regards to special effects, in regards to fandoms, and then often we use Star Wars as kind of a, a comparison to, you know, it's one of our favorite things, so we often compare other things to our favorite things. So Star Wars comes up a lot on the show, but we never really did a deep dive on what happens with Star Wars in a more general sense. So we aren't going to actually do a total rewind or a movie remake time, but something I wanted to ask you. This week on Disney+, Plus, a new anthology series called Tales from the Jedi came out, all right? So all right. it's a prequel era show following okay. Ahsoka Tanu, Count Dooku, and countless other characters. Uh, it's animated. It looks a lot like Clone Wars. Okay. Essentially, it's filling in you know, some of the gaps that people still have regarding the prequels. So this came out and began airing on Disney Plus this week. We have not watched it yet. <laughs> I will, of course, be watching it. And I will probably not be. No, I will. But what I wanted to get into is the very existence of the Clone Wars right? The very existence or need for, you know, Tales of the Jedi. What do you think happened with the prequels, uh, particularly starting with Phantom Menace? You mean that, this movie right here? Yeah, for anyone listening in, CP is holding up the DVD version of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, while also wearing a pretty cool shirt if you want to stand up and... Uh, Check this out. This is from back in the day. So it's a Star Wars Phantom Menace shirt. It's got one of the Naboo starfighters and the Trade Federation ships kind of emboldened in the letters. 
Yep. Looks pretty Throw, cool. Now, throwback classic last year. I got to ask you, have you been holding on to a t-shirt for that long? Oh, from like, yes. Yeah. 1999. I got a, I got a whole bunch in there. I actually have one from the actual pod racer N64 video game. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's like shocked. every time I go to dump them, I'm like, this is like old school Star Wars. I'm not getting rid of it. Well, so. I mean, I, I guess what I'm thinking about is like 1999. Do I have anything <laughs> in my house currently from 1999 uh, other than the house itself, which I believe was here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, was I don't know, man. At that time. That's what I'm saying know. is like, and hey, I, I'm, I mean, I'm getting like super broad strokes here, but I mean, this also goes back to the fact that like, hey, I had Star Wars action figures from 1999 and my mom threw them all in the trash when she moved out of our house. Well, Very upsetting. Sorry, man. Actually, you do bring that up a lot and it really ticks me off every time. I'm, I'm always just so disappointed that that happened. No, but like, here's the thing. This is why it upsets me is like, if I had been like CP, I have four huge bins of Star Wars figures and for that matter a whole range of action figures from the 90s and I was like do you want them oh I would have totally taken them yeah would you have been like no you know what just throw them away just throw them away no I would have been like keep them sell them give them to me put them in a museum you know I would have given them to you that's the thing is like if the option was trash or just give them to you I mean I would have loved to have kept them myself if you know I'm like hey CP take them off my hands like we cannot allow them to end up trash that's the crazy thing is this your mom threw them away she could have like sold them on ebay and probably like made like 30 grand i was gonna say i mean i've seen your action on another house Like when we were kids, dude, considering it was like Ghostbusters, Batman, Jurassic Star Park. Wars, dress, all that stuff is what she got rid of. I'm like, dude, that was all the stuff. I even had do. the old 90s, early Attitude Era wrestling figures. I Ninja had Turtles, Gundam. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd, I guess, <laughs> but I love it. You know, I don't have a shirt from 1999 and nor do I have any of those action figures. So if you don't believe me that I had them. Uh, CP can verify that you, for you. You know what blows me away is that I can actually still wear a shirt from 1999. That actually is true because if I tried to wear one of my shirts, even if I had gotten like a large at that time, I am extra large now. <laughs> it just wouldn't work. In re- in regards to Star Wars, like I said, we're not going to take a look at a specific movie, but I do want to talk Star Wars. This is something that is kind of near and dear to our hearts, and we actually used to walk around college campus talking about this for hours what that's what we did what happened uh with the prequels why were they not received with the same love and admiration that the original trilogy received in its time particularly phantom menace because that's the one that really set the tone so is the question you're asking is why do people hate and still hate the prequel trilogy and i don't just want to blame george lucas and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but I don't just want to be like, oh, he didn't know what he was doing. I think George Lucas knew exactly what he was doing. And like I said, <laughs> it's already getting me revved up, but I want to throw it over to you first. I, I kind of want to get your impression of, you know, what do you, what do you think happened here? Why does Lucasfilm in particular continually need to kind of like fill in the gaps? And not that this is not unique, right? To even the original trilogy, you know, they had the holiday special, they had the cartoon droids and Ewoks and then the other Ewoks. I mean, people love Star Wars. They want more Star Wars. So it's not a bad thing. But I feel like often the justification for the existence of Clone Wars or even now Tales of Jedi is they're trying to fill in the gaps that the three movies just didn't really do well. So what do you think happened? I think the first major issue, and I mean, we've talked about this with a lot of movies. Anytime you're making a prequel, you're already setting yourself up for failure. Okay. We know who lives. We know who dies. We know the ending, essentially, uh, of any prequel story. And it's just really hard to truly create something that captivates an audience. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I'm, you've yeah. robbed them of, of all the all the tricks you really have as a storyteller. I think we even mentioned it last week when we talked about Rings of Power, right? Part of the problem is they're telling a story that we already know doesn't truly end within the Rings of Power series, right? The rings live on. Sauron remains. And that's why we have Lord of the Rings. So Star Wars has that same problem. And I think when you're watching prequel trilogy, it's it's naturally robbed of a bit of the drama when we know that the story is not resolved in this trilogy. We have to wait till the next one. So I actually do have, I want to interject there. And this is a kind of a slight tangent, but I do want to ask you when it comes to Star Wars then, because George Lucas 
properly titled them as episodes how would you recommend to watch star wars okay starting right. uh, there's only one way to watch star wars and it's to start with a new hope okay that's how I, you do it I, I, that's the only way i would ever do it i'd never do that like well let's start with the phantom menace and what's all no no that's just stupid well i hear i hear <clears throat> people a lot of the time you know arguing that oh if you start with the phantom menace it will spoil the uh, surprise at the end of uh empire strikes back where darth vader spoiler alert reveals that he's luke skywalker's father but to me i would argue first of all uh one almost everybody knows that like i'm not not, i'm not arguing because there's a whole new generation of kids who have not seen star wars and we're talking about how we would introduce star wars to people who haven't seen it but generally speaking i mean it's hard to make it through uh you know watching star wars without that getting revealed for you second of all i would argue that darth vader revealing that he's luke's father is actually incredibly powerful in the moment story-wise so i think it absolutely holds up i really think that reveal the reason it's one of the biggest reveals in all of cinema is is because essentially it's a reveal for us and for the character. And so it's, it's yeah. as revelatory for us as it is for Luke. And so it's, it's powerful on both sides. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of, uh, you know, big plot twists fail is often they're revelatory for maybe the audience, but not really the characters or the opposite. It's a big deal for the character, but as the audience, we don't really care all that much. Anyway, God, I could talk about Star Wars all over the place. But one more thing I wanted to to point out while we're talking about the order of Star Wars. I just saw this video on Instagram Reels of this dad shows his daughter Star Wars starting with episode one. So the prequels first. Okay. And this little girl did not know that Anakin becomes Darth Vader. And so he asks her, he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, I don't want him to be a bad guy. (laughs) And she's like heartbroken. And he's like, do you like Anakin? And she's like, yes, I love Anakin. And she was like heartbroken that like her favorite character turns to the dark side. And I was like, wow, it's actually, it kind of hit me that I was like, four people that aren't familiar with Star Wars, didn't see the original trilogy and are introduced to it that way can have a totally different experience than the one I had with all the baggage I brought to the table as a young, you know, ki- uh, middle school kid in 1999 who uh, skipped out on school to go see Phantom Menace. Dude, but that's <laughs> crazy. I never really thought about it, to be honest, but you're right. Like, I guess if you have been living under a rock and never watched a Star Star Wars movie, and you start at the beginning. It's probably a bit emotional. It's okay. so sad. All right, too, fair enough. She, uh, fair enough. She she uh she's eating lunch. This is when her dad's asking her the questions, and then she's like, "I'm not hungry anymore," and like shoves her food away because she's like so upset that Anakin turned to the dark side. And I'm like, "Hey, little girl, he turns into like the greatest villain, though." Shout out to those guys. Maybe we'll uh put a put a post out and tag him. Absolutely. Well, anyway, let's get back to it. So you were talking about the prequels as actually prequels, and the reason that inherently limits some of the story telling accessibility you have to really kind of play with the audience because you're boxed in. That's part of it. So naturally, I think when we look at the prequel trilogy, there's three major problems. Okay. The first of which I would point to is the character of Anakin Skywalker. And I mean, again, it's kind of in line with the prequel thing. In the original trilogy, Anakin Skywalker is presented as the ultimate badass. He's this amazing pilot, this amazing Jedi warrior who Obi-Wan, you know, originally tells us that he is he is he is killed by Darth Vader. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's so good. And as 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 the story unfolds, we find more that he is this hero who is seduced by the dark side and falls from grace. And it's very powerful. And I feel like we never really see that in the initial trilogy. Part of it is the fact that some of it is is the way he's written. Some of it is just the portrayal by Hayden Christensen. Some of it just is the fact that all the characters seem to be in agreement that Anakin is this badass and they talk about how he's a badass, but they don't actually actually show us badass moments of Anakin Skywalker in the initial trilogy. Now, when you watch the Clone Wars series, we see how Anakin Skywalker is very much a badass, but we don't get that to the extent that we should in the prequel. When you watch the prequel trilogy, it confirms that Obi-Wan Kenobi is a badass because we watch him do badass things. Yeah, and I think there was this when once Hayden Christensen in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith you know, gave his full portrayal, I think he was described as kind of like a, a whiny, incessant kind of 
teenager. He did he didn't ever exude this, you know, like you said, dominant warrior confidence. It almost seemed like at, at certain points his confidence came from the fact that everybody said he was that good, but again, we just didn't quite get to see it in action. You know, a great example, it's a, it's a fantastic scene is the opening sequence from Revenge of the Sith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh it, it actually is really cool. Like Anakin's actually flying a ship now, which other than the pod racer <clears throat> and which he technically flies a Naboo starfighter in Phantom Menace, but I think it's like for a majority of it, like R2's controlling it. So is like the nav computer. Uh, he's not even actually flying well, for like half of it. When it comes to that scene for Revenge of the Sith, ultimately like they get hit with these droids. You don't actually see Anakin like flying around really being this like amazing fighter pilot. Like him and Obi-Wan are essentially like flying straight with droids on there. <laughs> Yeah, ships and then he like knocks a couple droids off and like manages to like keep flying straight enough to like get through that door before it closes but it's not like he it's not like Luke in the Death Star Trench that's like amazing well I think about like the, the moments where we see Anakin being this amazing Jedi warrior, primarily at the start of Revenge of the Sith, when um, he fights, you know, Count Dooku. Count Dooku. And then at the uh, uh, there's two moments in Attack of the Clones, the one where they chase down Zam, the bounty hunter. And then at the yeah. end, again, the battle with Count Dooku, all of Anakin's um, success comes at the expense of the character of Obi-Wan, right? Mm, we never see we we see obi-wan make a mistake obi-wan be incompetent obi-wan get his ass kicked by count dooku in order for anakin to shine right yeah okay and, and so i'm like each one of these moments we don't see anakin in his own right rise above everybody and really truly be better than everyone okay and i think that that's part of it the other thing is we never get that Harvey Dent moment. You know, when you look at the Dark Knight, Har- mm. you know, Harvey Dent is such this, we want him to succeed. And even though those of us that know who Harvey Dent is, know he's going to turn bad, that moment where he is in the hospital talking to the Joker, yeah. finally this man has been broken and everything that he believed in, everything that he stood for has been crushed. And then we see when he goes after Jim Gordon and Gordon's family, you're like, guy, like we see Harvey Dent fall from grace. And it's so powerful because we're torn. On one hand, we're like, I love you as a character. I loved what you stood for. And it's so painful to see you throw it all away, but it's justified. We've been with him on the ride. We know why he's finally reached this breaking point as a man. And for Anakin, we never get it. We get this really crappy written scene where he says that stupid line where he's like, well, from my perspective, the Jedi are evil and you're like honestly honestly well I think when it comes to that what actually happens and I think it could possibly if it was done right be powerful either way but because George didn't really settle on one for the script present Anakin's fall as initially he's having these nightmares that Padme is going to pass away in childbirth right these visions Mm -hmm. and so they have him kind of pursue sort of some dark knowledge from Palpatine you know what do you know Mm -hmm. uh they're talking about Darth Plagueis, but they're presenting his fall as one out of fear. But they parallel that with this notion that Anakin only got promoted to be on the council because they he's close to Palpatine. Yeah. That there's some sort of, I don't know what you call it, like plot for the Jedi to take over. Yeah. And because they don't hit, right? He never really commits to one because the the whole Jedi plot thing is like, you went to go turn Palpatine in. Mm -hmm. So like, if you really thought that, you wouldn't have done that, right? Yeah. And he even, I mean, the motive becomes more clear in that scene because when Palpatine's going to, or Mace Windu's going to kill Palpatine, he says, no, you can't, I need him, right? He needs that knowledge to save Padme. But because there's these competing motives, it never comes across as like, that Harvey Dent moment where you really know and actually can understand why Anakin did what he did, right? And that's usually what makes the best villains is when, you know, I wouldn't do that and I don't believe what you did is right, but I also understand why you did. Instead, you just get kind of like both these narratives, one of them that almost rings false, which is like, Anakin, you're on the inside. Like, do you really think the Jedi were plotting to like take over? I I just don't believe that he would truly believe that. Well, and I think I think the the Padme thing is actually an interesting motivation. We don't truly get it, but I mean, you know, there's that scene where she confronts him on the ship, and it's almost like if that they'd actually truly leaned into that. And you know, what if in that moment of absolute rage, we saw they kind of dance around it? But what if in Anakin's actual rage, he killed Padme? 
yeah got these powerful force powers that he's he's still learning to control like what if he had killed her and then he was forced to confront that guilt i'm like there's just so many opportunities to give this character a moment where we see him fall instead of kind of a bunch of half-assed ones that just don't really ever seem strong enough to warrant him betraying everything that he believes. Yeah, and there's, you know, there is, you know, it's also, in my opinion, I think it's kind of poor writing is mm -hmm. when Padme gives birth. I know George Lucas is looking for, for a parallel scene here where there's literally a birth scene where Padme dies that's running parallel to Darth Vader being essentially born and Frankenstein's monster rising up. But I really hate the writing there. Padme dies and they were like, she'd lost the will to live. And I was like, really? She just had kids. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I mean, if there was ever a time that you would find the will to live, like, no, I don't know. I just, not that she couldn't have died from complications of childbirth or something that Anakin had done, but just that stupid line. No, no, I, I'm with you. But the Vader thing actually brings up for me the second major reason why the prequel trilogy fails. And specifically in episode one, and that's, we never have, okay, let me take a step back. In the original trilogy, we have Darth Vader, probably the coolest, most badass, most terrifying movie villain maybe in history, you know? I know. Another uh, great video, if you've never seen it, there's actually a video on YouTube of a dog watching A New Hope. And in the very, very beginning when they're on the Attentive 4 and he's they've, the Star, Star Destroyer captures the ship, and then it's like, dun, dun, you know, Darth Vader comes in. Mm -hmm. This dog is like terrified and like runs and hides behind the couch. And then mm -hmm. the movie's so good that you actually see like the dog's snout pop up and he's like watching it like hiding that's hilarious just terrified of vader and you're like god if that doesn't just speak to george lucas's ability to convey something visually i'm like wow amazing. and i mean think about just the power of vader in that movie his role is actually very minimal yeah he's kind of a stock villain he's not really fleshed out as more in-depth once the trilogy's complete, it works really we well. We get him. But in A New Hope, he's like just a he's just the big bad there. He's imposing. We don't know why he's so bad. We don't know why he's so powerful. We just see the bad stuff that he does, and it's awesome. Force choking his own guys, you know, killing Obi-Wan, that scene where he's just wasting people on the starship. Oh, it's amazing. And we never get that from the prequel trilogy. The killer thing is when you say we don't get it, what okay, keep going. The killer thing is. George Lucas almost gives us a villain like that. We get Darth Maul, a villain totally shrouded in mystery. He has a double-bladed lightsaber. You know, he pulls off his hood and he has the tattoos and the horns. And he says like 12 words in the entire first movie. Yeah, I you're forget like, how many lines he got, but it's only like yeah, a handful. It's like two lines, three lines. And you're like, this guy is awesome. And then what happens? Spoiler alert, they kill him. Granted, again, he comes back in Clone Wars. But he doesn't come back to parallel the journey of Anakin and Obi-Wan, which for the, the Obi-Wan character, I mean, what an awesome opportunity for him to again have the opportunity to keep encountering this Sith Lord who killed his mentor. Well, right? isn't it crazy too when you think like as far as Darth Maul's concerned, like when it comes to his resurrection in the Clone Wars and, and extensions to things like Rogue One, Rebels, and like he literally had like, you know, a second life that, I mean, that does that not speak to the misfire that was killing him off at the end of Phantom Menace. I mean, he was so cool that basically a bunch of people were like, we need to create like a show where we can just bring him back because he should have never died. Yeah, right. Well, and then how do they top off? How do they try to one up the character of Darth Maul? They give us Count Dooku, like the old, like, nowhere near as badass Sith Lord. And I know George is trying to do something in terms of he was, you know, Qui-Gon's you know, he has a mm -hmm. relationship with Qui-Gon. He has a relationship with Yoda. But it, it just, it feels again like a huge misfire. I'm like, you took an awesome dude and replaced him with like some like dear D-tier villain. Like, really? Yeah, and even I know I'm, I'm going to kind of set the story that we get in Clone Wars aside and think hypothetically here. But the fact that Darth Maul killed Qui-Gon, uh, what that could have done to Obi-Wan knowing he was out there, what that could mm -hmm. do to Obi-Wan's anger. Mm -hmm. Could it cause him to walk that line of going towards the dark side? I don't know. I you agree. know? And again, some of that does actually come to pass, but I mean, in the movies themselves. So there was a lot of opportunity. And I think, like you said, uh, George had set it up and maybe he was doing a little, you know, inversion on us with us believing that Darth Maul was like, you know, kind of a, Darth Vader clone in the prequel trilogy. 
But in the end, he ended up, you know, he could have been any uh, of any number of things. And even after his defeat to Obi-Wan, I mean, you could still have Palpatine kind of reject Darth Maul and have him be a part of the syndicate or or some Mm -hmm, other aspect mm -hmm. of the universe. And you could even have Palpatine who's looking for his next, you know, uh, pupil or apprentice or whatever. And I don't know. There's uh, any number of things that could have happened. And I, I totally agree because, you know, to that end, Palpatine is the big bad over, you know, the prequel trilogy. And even though he's the emperor, though, all the Skywalker saga, and when I say that, I mean episodes one through six. I mean, it really <laughs> is the the story of, of Darth Vader and the Skywalkers. Yeah. So even though Palpatine is, you know, in, in a hierarchy, even in the original trilogy, he's higher than Vader. I mean, Vader's the villain. You know, it... Palpatine looms large, but, and he's the big bad in the prequel trilogy, but it doesn't have that kind of Darth Vader figure who can really uh, challenge the the characters on that more physical one-to-one level where Palpatine's like pulling strings and playing politics and he's in Mm -hmm. the background. Yeah. And we miss that. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, you never get a guy who just force blocks lasers like Vader, like, oh, come on. That Huge misstep. And I mean, the last one, in, and this actually is a good segue to it. I think we miss out because we don't ever have a Han Solo character as well, right? Okay. Han Solo brings something so unique to the original trilogy. For one, I mean, it's force and Jedi powers. And I mean, there is an absurdity to embracing Star Wars. And Han Solo is the guy who is sort of our, you know, um, stand in and can kind of look around at the universe and, and scratch his head and say, that's all BS. Yeah. And like, I never think I, I never, ever thought that Star Wars doesn't take itself seriously. I think it actually does, mm-hmm. but it likes to have fun. Mm-hmm. And you do have to, you know, like Han Solo standing there and he's like, boy, you said it, Chewie. Yeah. You know, just like little comments like that, where out of nowhere, you know, he's kind of like, like you said, are we just going to like follow this old guy? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why are we following him? And Luke's like, that is a great man. Like, you don't, yeah. you don't know, you know? And he just kind of points out those things that, I don't know, just add a little bit of humor without making fun of Star Wars. He never parodies it. He's never, it's humor in world, which, oh my God, if we have to acknowledge the sequel trilogy that was actually something i was a bit critical of is that in the sequel trilogy the disney trilogy a lot of the humor is for the fans they do a few things like there's one where like you know they they have like a a, i don't know why an iron coming down and, and they are alluding to like a fan film right that humor does not exist in world there mm. that that joke is for us and i feel like in the original star wars the jokes are in world yeah. very rare i don't I, honestly i don't know is there anything where they kind of wink at the audience i don't think there is no i can't think of anything and the other thing is i really Solo can't does something that i think is really important that we don't get in the prequel trilogy or really the sequel trilogy for that matter. And I think it's important to ground the fact that- First of all, have you seen the sequel trilogy? No. All right, that's a different episode, but okay. But the point is this. Everyone in the prequel trilogy has a lightsaber, right? It's all about Jedi Knights. And obviously the Jedi are for the most part extinct by the time the original trilogy comes around. But there is an important balancing fact to the fact that there is a character standing toe-to-toe with Luke side-by-side in the missions who is not the all-powerful Jedi Knight. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, And like I said, I think one of the reasons that that is important is by comparison, it amplifies what some of the other people can do. But it also introduces some really fun story things where he's going to solve problems and see things ways the Jedi don't. You know, he, he also is uh, hes a smuggler. He's a mm-hmm. rule breaker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's going to break rules and do things that they maybe, you know, can't get away with. Mm-hmm. And even Padme probably can't because she's a politician. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes that narratively can be very fun. It's very fun to have characters like that because you don't know what they're going to do. They they present a bit of a wild card, right? 
exactly where you're like i don't know i mean i i think i know what the jedi will do they're gonna you know ignite their lightsabers and do this and you know han solo might rip off a thermal grenade and start throwing them and everybody's like what the what are you doing yeah right you know and or a thermal grenade thermal detonator you know it, it's fun to have characters like that and i think you know when it came to uh the prequel trilogy obviously one of the knocks was that the dialogue was you know stiff was wooden uh very political and uh, a character like that might have also livened up the dialogue, made mm-hmm. people smile uh, in a kind of humorous way and yeah. not just like, you know, oh, you know, you're funny. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, the dialogue in the prequels is stiff and wooden. I mean, they're borderline like laughing at a joke and then saying you're funny, which yeah. you got to say. It. So I have to agree, though. I mean, with most of those points, because, you know, as, as well as the prequels have aged, and I do think they're starting to come into their own. I think you have a generation of Star Wars fans who grew up with them, lo- love them in their own right. You're having, a, like I said, a subset of fans now, new new fans being introduced to Star Wars, starting with the prequels. They, they've kind of found their place. Um, but let's face it, they're just not perfect in the way that I think the original trilogy is regarded. Well, I mean, you, you can't overlook the reason they they face the wrath of fans in the in their time is you know they're they're not perfect. Um, well, and I know. mean, I think the last thing that that I see is is from a production standpoint, uh, George Lucas was very aware of his strengths and his weaknesses making the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, um, I know this guy. He's a really good screenwriter. Come on in and I want you to make a pass on the script and really punch up the dialogue. Uh, I know you from film school. You're a really good director. I want you to come by and actually direct the movie so I can focus on all the components of it that I'm really good at, right? Isn't it crazy when you bring that up like that, that the way Star Wars fans think of the original trilogy is that George Lucas did it all? But in... Mm-hmm retrospect i mean he was executive producer and a lot of the story and story elements and everything are are his but i mean he didn't actually write the screenplays he didn't actually direct the second two movies yep or maybe i'm wrong about i think he did write and direct a new hope he he wrote and directed the first but the other two he did it for whatever reason it just works really well and you know maybe i i know there's that saying of you know by the time they you know got to the prequel production that a lot of Lucasfilm, you know, just had such reverence for George Lucas that he was surrounded by a lot of yes men and a lot of people didn't really push back on probably some of the things that they might otherwise have on different productions, mainly because people just, George Lucas made Star Wars. So like, we'll just defer to him. He knows what he's doing. So there's a little bit of that. And then I, I was kind of alluding to it earlier as well, that I think, you know, one of the disconnects with the prequels was that I think George Lucas always intended, you know, had his intended audience of being, you know, a new generation of kids, right? And he stated multiple times that he thinks these movies are made for kids. We're passing on our lessons, right? And uh, yeah. giving them heroes and villains that embody our values and, and the things that we reject. You know, I think too, that I at that time, uh, because no one knew what this was going to look like, People either thought it was going to look like the original trilogy, which it didn't. Uh, You know, a lot of the fans thought it was going to be made for them. And they are now, you know, adults. You're Mm -hmm. 20 years removed from them as kids watching A New Hope. And so I think you you do end up with a slight disconnect there. Does that kill the movies? No, like I said, there's definitely some filmmaking storyline stuff involved as well. And I think you you did a great job, you know, really outlining, hey, what are the, the major components here? So I also, you know, I don't know that George Lucas wrote Padme and Anakin's love story best it could have been. Yeah, yeah, it's very forced and... I don't know. George Lucas is always, you know, in the original trilogy, he's got a brother and a sister kissing each other. And this one, Anakin's like a little kid and she's a queen. You know, I know their age gaps only, you know, it's not that crazy when you're adults, but still (laughs) George, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess, yeah, I just wanted to take a look back because, you know, as we mentioned, you know, Darth Maul gets uh, resurrected in Clone Wars. We get the introduction of the character Ahsoka Tanu, who is now, almost you know a universe or a original trilogy like universally beloved mm-hmm. and she's the character that really fits i think a lot of what the prequel trilogy is actually going for she's a person who's challenging the jedi order 
Mm-hmm. You know, are you mm-hmm. are you guys right? And so when Anakin says all that stuff at the end of Revenge of the Sith, it feels somewhat empty. But here's mm-hmm. Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, and you actually she fills in those gaps of like, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Jedi, they disregarded their mandate as, you know, kind of peaceful protectors of the galaxy and became soldiers in a conflict that they had no business, you know, really becoming that that involved. In. They lost their way. And so, you know, she she shows that that's something that I think is missing is that kind of person who's looking at it and not just accepting that the Jedi are perfect. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. So, because there's a lot of things that people question about the prequels, or particularly the Jedi Order. You know, I think Qui-Gon takes Anakin's blood and analyzes it without his knowledge. The Jedi take kids from their parents and kind of indoctrinate them into this, you know, kind of cult-like order. <laughs> they, you know, they, like they were not perfect. Uh, they also, you know, they they have massive egos in how they, re- you know, revere their own order. Mm-hmm. They, you know put a lot of faith in in the history and stuff that came before without acknowledging that this whole thing could be flawed you know they they don't question it and so i think you know the clone wars in particular and hopefully you know tales from the jedi do a good job of exploring that a little bit further we got to mention of it from mark hamill as luke skywalker in the last jedi but again i don't want to get into sequels right now um but yeah i think there was you know obviously there was a lot, but it's fun to me, I think, to look at the prequels now and what I admire the most about them, that George Lucas tried something different. Uh, he didn't just remake the original trilogy with better graphics. Um, he's narratively, he's definitely trying to tell a very deep story. How does somebody turn into a villain? Uh, was he successful at getting that all the way across? Maybe not, but it's ambitious. I love that he's going for it. Uh, I mean, come on. Order 66, amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing, I mean, I love, I love how we see the evolutionary history of Star Wars through the prequel trilogy, right? Yeah. We see early models of things that come around, you know, 20 years later in, within the same universe. And I think that you know, he's very aware as a creative of kind of taking us to this earlier point in this universe's history. And I think that's really cool. And we got some great sequences. Obviously, the lightsaber battles are incredible. Pod race is yep. fantastic, holds up shockingly well. Go watch like some of the newer Marvel movies and all this stuff. And you're like, wow, this was made in like, well, late 90s. It released in 99. But you're like, the graphics on this are just fantastic. Things still don't look that good. You know, I think we did an episode where we talked about special effects and kind of Lord of the Rings and Jurassic Park. I don't think we mentioned the pod race scene because the prequels do have Jar Jar uh, off. <laughs> oh, that's another problem with that's the another, yeah. You know, hey, love him or hate him, he's there. You know, uh, I don't know that those graphics specifically aged as well as some of the other ones, but the pod race is a standout. Looks mm-hmm. incredible. I don't know. I, I, you know, like I said, I just I love George's ambition. I love that, you know, he, he, everybody's like, yeah, just what kids want to hear about politics, but he's really, there's such an overarching narrative about democracy and, and, you know, people can uh, deceive and you may not be who they appear at first glance. And, and I don't know, I, I just admire him for doing something different and sticking to his vision, even if it wasn't perfect. I just, I think we got so many great moments from it and, you know, it inspired, uh, essentially you know star wars fans who loved the movies and became creators themselves to create the clone wars and fill in some of those gaps so been pretty sweet you know it's really kind of crazy about the prequel trilogy and i've never thought about this and i don't think we've ever talked about it but at the same time george lucas is writing this epic about the fragility of democracy right and people throwing away their freedoms and powers in the name of uh, fear right yeah is the same time September 11 happens and the United States starts rushing through things, you know, mandates like the Patriot Act and things Patriot Act, yeah. in the name of like peace and stability and, and protection, which it's very ironic to me because this is all slightly before the real world enters this, you know, these, these moments in time that are almost reflexive of art. And I'm obviously we've seen a lot of things after those events 
you know, kind of telling this foreboding story, but Lucas was um, aware enough and, and enough tapped into human nature, actually be writing these things right before they happened. And I think that's kind of, uh, kind of amazing when you think about it. Yeah. There's that great quote, which I, you know, I don't know if it's original and it's, you know, idea alone, but there is that great quote by Padme with like, so this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I think yeah. that resonates with a lot of people that, Hey, you know, unless we're going to get, you know, attacked from some foreign power. And even then, if you're, you know, the, the Republic, it's very unlikely that you're going to lose, like more mm. than likely you will crumble from within, you know, it's very pressing, you know, and like I said, Lucas in, you know, come up with that observation himself. you got to go back no. through history and you see it all the time, Yeah, but he is integrating it into star Wars and, and the Republic and all that. And it was, uh, it was fun to watch. Totally was, dude. Oh my god! I, I mean, just getting to go see Star Wars in the theater. I swear to God, if they release Star Wars in the theater again, I would go all six. Yeah, me too. Me too. I did. In fact, it was weird because this was the only one. I guess it was because it happened right before the acquisition by Disney. But remember when they started re-releasing all oh, the three D? They were going to do all the Star Wars movies in three D, and the only one that came out was Phantom Menace. I think and I saw it, it two times, but yeah. Then they're just like, nah, we're done. I was really bummed because, I mean, anytime you're going to put Star Wars on the big screen, I, I'll go see it. Yeah. No matter how much, it. I'll always shell out money for that stuff. Yep. I would go in a heartbeat. I, just to experience it one more time. I mean, I, you know, shout out to Jeff. Like, I wish I had a kid so I could take him to the theater to go see Star <laughs> Wars because it'd just be the best, best day. Well, anyway, uh, obviously, I think you and I could talk Star Wars endlessly and, you know, tangent as far as, as possible here. So this this conversation with Star Wars is not over. Obviously, we have so many things. You have so many new Disney things to watch. You got Harry Potter. We, yeah, <laughs> there's gonna, there's way it's gonna more be a blast man. to be had. So much but fun stuff. If, uh, any of our listeners, if you get a chance to check out Tales from the Jedi on Disney Plus, let us know what you think. Does it fill in the gaps that really improve the viewing experience for the prequel trilogy, the way Clone Wars and, and Rebels did? What are your thoughts, you know, on the prequel trilogy? Is there something that, see, because we, you know, we we uh, picked kind of the big things, but are there is there anything from the prequel trilogy that stands out to you as, you know, a, a big miss or a reason that it was not received well in its time, despite it aging uh, pretty well and, and being received well by fans today? And hey, let's just face it: if you have a favorite scene from the prequels, send us that too, because I just love talking about Star Wars scenes. Ooh, what so, is your favorite scene from the prequel trilogy? Uh, prequel trilogy scene. I think the Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, Darth Maul lightsaber battle at the end of Phantom Menace is absolutely incredible. I also, I do love dueling duels at the end of Revenge of the Sith. So I'm going to the battles here. Uh, those were some of my favorite, the lightsaber duels. Fair enough. They're the, they're the best in all of Star Wars, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I don't even know. I don't, I'm not even, there is one in Clone Wars uh, I think it's Ahsoka Tanu versus Darth Maul, which is amazing. They're like on this scaffolding. Absolutely mm-hmm. well done. And it's animated. So, you know, hey, uh, say what you will. I know live action, you got to do the choreography and all the stuff that goes into it. But damn, this lightsaber battle looked good. But those two in in Phantom Menace and Avengers of Sith are my favorite. What about you? Yeah, probably the the Phantom Menace duel is, is definitely up there. Padres. Um, Pod, I mean, I mean, the pod race is pretty cool. I'm trying to think of something that's not one of those. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe even I might dare as to say the uh, Order 66 montage. That's so sad, was, though. It was just so powerful. I remember sitting in the theater and I was like, I knew, you know, like you said, with prequels, we know going into it that like there there has to be. A Dude, moment that part with this- Kiati Mundi where he runs out and just turns around and gets wasted. It makes me so pissed off every time oh man that scene is just fantastic i always thought the uh the the jango fett uh obi-wan kind of uh battle on the camino. platform in camino i thought that was kind of cool yeah in the rain was different yeah. for star wars yeah, you know? yeah yeah and i think that was something everybody had kind of wanted to see with boba fett which god can star wars just get boba fett right i feel like to write boba fett George creates Django Fett. So he's like, okay, we could see what Boba Fett would have looked like if we ever did get him in action. And then they come out with the Boba Fett show and it's like, 
the way cooler guy is the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, the Mandalorian is exactly <laughs> what Boba Fett's supposed to be. Like, come on. Yeah, guys. like if you were ever going to do a Boba Fett show, it Just, should be the Mandalorian. Yeah. Like, it, what are you doing? <laughs> so stupid. Oh, makes me so mad. He's the Darth Maul of the original trilogy. You know, <laughs> super cool looking. True. And then he just gets like, you know, tossed into the Sarlacc pit. So anyway, uh, while we're speaking about Disney Plus <laughs> and Disney, uh, something I actually wanted to ask you, because I was so impressed when I went to Disneyland with this ride that I wanted to bring it up. We're talking about Star Wars. So I wanted to ask you what your top three theme park rides based on movies are. So I, I think everybody is, is, they know where I'm going with my number one, but I do have an honorable mention and two and three, and you're, you're going to have to wait to hear my number one. But I wanted to know, what are yours? You know, obviously there's Six mm. Flags, which which has some rides. Yeah, I was going to not... say, is like is like Batman and Riddler. Yeah, like, Riddler's are, Do Revenge. those count? Yeah, absolutely. Those... Ooh, okay. All right. All so, right. So uh, I think, again, for this list, what I do want to recognize is these are rides based on movies. So in that instance, which I do believe uh, those Batman rides were inspired by the Batman films of their time. For instance, at Universal Islands of Adventure, they have a Spider-Man ride and Hulk roller coaster. Well, those are inspired by the comics. So, and I could be mistaken about Batman and Riddler's Revenge and Six Flags, but I'm going to exclude those uh, because they are in fact based on the comics and even the rides themselves feature very kind of comic book looking uh, cartoony villains and, and, heroes versus at disney they have the new avengers campus and that is clearly inspired by actual movies okay right so and then the second thing is i also am going to exclude rides and this is mostly disney here rides that inspired movies so haunted mansion pirates of the caribbean jungle cruise all of those where the ride came first so we're looking at rides that were inspired by the movies Ooh, okay. This is it. All right. I like this. This is cool. This is cool. I like this. Then I'm actually, so I'm going to throw out an honorable mention first. Okay. Um, now that we clarified the six flags uh, component is, which I think it is because when you go on the Batman ride, it is very much uh, the kind of the line experience seems like it's made after the Tim Burton Batman. That's what I thought. And I feel like the Riddler's Revenge, I feel like the ride, the line experience, it, it, it's kind of in the theme of the Batman Forever Riddler. So I'm going to say honorable mention, Riddler's Revenge, still probably one of my favorite roller coasters ever. Uh, and part of it's because it's the only standing roller coaster I think I've actually ever been on, which always seemed weird to me. So I'm going to go that. That's my honorable mention. Yeah, All that's right. just an awesome ride and glad we could throw DC some love there and Six Flags because apparently nobody goes. So good for them. Really? Oh, man. I, you know, I've never been to the Six Flags out here in Los Angeles, but I have been to the one back in Chicago or the Chicagoland area. And it was it was pretty good. I like Six Flags. Is that Great America? Yeah. And out here, I think it's Magic Mountain. Magic Mountain. Yeah. Um, so that's my honorable mention. Number three for me, I am going to go with, this is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Peter Pan at Disneyland. Oh, the dark ride. Yeah. Uh, an old classic, actually. An old classic. Um, still one of the longest rides in the park. Longest um, rides? Or lines. I yeah. Mean, I to get like, onto yeah, a ride. Say, that ride, even at like 11 at night, still has like a 30 minute wait. To yeah, get it's on insane. It. And you're like, it's like 50 years old and like, yeah. Um, so I'm going to go Peter Pan just because I love the movie and it's fun. And you go to wonder you, you go to Neverland and, you know, you're riding oh, a ship and yeah. You, you've you've seen the updates, too, right? I have. I have. They're, yeah. they're awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like how you update a classic. Yep. It totally enhances the original experience and makes it better without sacrificing the charm and what mm -hmm. made the original so special? I thought the upgrades were, you know, two thumbs up from D-Man Disney. That was <laughs> that was well done. For number two, I am going to go with another Disney ride, the Indiana Jones ride. It's it's Indiana A Jones. Huge fan favorite. It's not directly inspired by any one movie, but they capture the essence of Indiana Jones, right? Um, Absolutely. 
the Jeep, you know, the indie character that pops up throughout the movie is looks and sounds like Harrison Ford. You know, they even managed to throw in a boulder, you know, which is like the most iconic Indiana Jones component. Um, yeah. I got to give a tip of the cap because I was just at Disneyland in May. And one of the things that really stood out to me was in when you're in line for that ride, they have a lot of interactive Indiana Jones style things. Like you can push bricks in the wall and like stuff will light up or, you know, smoke will come out. Things mm -hmm. uh, there's like clues hidden throughout that reveal the story. They have a big screen with like a face on it that is telling you things. I actually really like that, you know, they were able to make the the ride line interactive, which I never thought I would say I would enjoy a line, but if you got to be in one, why not make it interactive? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then number one for me is Universal Studios, the Jurassic Park ride. Oh my God, I love that ride. I mean, I love Jurassic Park. You know this. Um, there's a pretty epic drop at the end. Now I have not been on it since it's been updated for Jurassic world. So I okay. don't know how it's changed, but the original Jurassic park inspired one where you get to the edge and the T-Rex comes down at you and you, you go out. Oh, so fun. It's definitely a ride that gets you wet. You get soaked on it. No. And I love that ride too, because they actually make it feel like you're, you're going on the Jurassic park tour so like it starts off and you're like going past different uh what are they called like decks or whatever where the dinosaurs are but it's like they're taking you on like a zoo tour yeah and then all of a sudden like something goes wrong and you get yep. veered off course and like you're like oh my god and then the, you hear the raptors and all this stuff and you to me i thought they actually made it feel like you know this is what jurassic park was like so you get yeah. to experience the movie i thought that was just so well done so yeah. well done so much fun and i mean you know, you see some pretty sweet uh, animatronic dinosaurs throughout. So what what more could you want in a Jurassic Park ride? How about you? Well, what are your uh, what are your choices? I have to give an honorable mention. Now, this is a ride that I actually haven't ridden. I want to. And that is I would I want to go to Universal's Harry Potter. Land. Now, I haven't been and I've and heard it's amazing. I don't want to go to Harry Potter land. Hey, 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 you watch it. I'm supposed to give you hell. <laughs> you do want to go to Harry Potter land and we will watch all eight Harry Potter movies and go to get. All right. But I All think right. that just we'll looks absolutely incredible to me. I think the way they, they I've seen, you know, the videos on YouTube and all this different stuff, like the way they made Hogwarts and Hog, Hogsmeade and it's interactive with the wands and all this stuff. But more than that, the actual rides look great. There's the dragons and all this different stuff. I, I just, that's something that's on my list. So even though I can't technically uh, put it on my, my list today, I think if I go, it might make it. All right, fair so, enough. Number fair three enough. for me is actually going to be the uh, Hollywood tour at Universal Studios. So where you literally ride the movies. <laughs> so fair enough. And that's at, that's at Universal Studios Hollywood. So if I'm not mistaken, I think the tour is uh, much different, if not even fully there anymore at Universal Orlando. Although I haven't been there in a long time, so I could be wrong. But in Universal... Uh, Hollywood. It's actually fantastic. They go through a bunch of different things, ob uh, obviously different movies. Um, they have Psycho and Jaws and King Kong. And I think they even do at one point, it was, uh, what's the Spielberg movie with Tom Cruise with aliens? War of the Worlds? Yeah, I think they have like a War of the Worlds bit and like, I don't know, all kinds of different stuff. But it's really fun because it's interactive. Uh, they show you what the actual sets look like. I think you go through, you know, just an old Western set and like mm -hmm. really cool stuff. It's it to me, it's it's uh, an amazing ride to give everybody just kind of a sneak peek behind the scenes, but not you know just a, a video look. You actually get to go see it and see what it looks like. So that's one of my favorites, and I love too that that can be essentially you can take different sections of it and pull them out, add new ones as you have new movies and different things that, that come in. I think that's fun. Yeah, that's a fun ride. I haven't been on it in a really long time, but I find it funny because anytime I'm on the Universal lot and you walk by the trams, dude, people start busting out their phones and recording videos and you're like, no, you don't, you don't need to. Um, I mean, maybe I they just know that they're filmmakers, Compass fans. Maybe that's what it is, dude. I do love the original kind of King Kong, uh, the old ride where they had like the giant kind of animatronic King Kong, but they updated that with Peter Jackson's King Kong. But it was actually really cool because they they basically create like a dome screen over the tram 
And then they have like King Kong in 3D outside. So literally like your entire field of view is a 3D screen. And then you have King Kong like interacting with the tram. And then he can obviously the depth of, of feel on the screen can go back as far as you want. So then he like steps back and you can see him and he roars. It was it was really cool. I'm not sure. My understanding, though, is I think the actual original animatronic King Kong burned up. Is that what happened? Oh, I yeah, think that's that why they fire. had to get rid of it. Yeah, there was the fire. And so I think that that's why they probably have the new. Uh, I was a fan yeah. of that, though. No, it was cool, dude. It yeah, cool. I liked it. So yeah, that one had its own charm. Uh, number two is technically a show. So number two on my list is uh, it's a little questionable, but it is one of my favorite rides of all time. And it, too, is also gone. Terminator 2 at Universal Studios. Just I think it's basically it's a show and also has an interactive line. You're, you're literally at Cyberdyne, but they sit you down in this theater and you put on 3D glasses. Uh, James Cameron actually filmed footage for this with the cast from Terminator 2. They have people come out on motorcycles and actual actors come out on stage while you're fighting like a, a I think it's like a T-1000 variant. And it's like, it's literally like coming at you. Amazing. And That's it's cool. gone. It's gone, dude. Bummer, dude. It was the best. I would go on that all day. It was so much fun. Well, I mean, it's Terminator. What do you expect, dude? Dude, and they have the actual theme song, the music, like all. It felt like I was in Terminator, like you're writing the movies. It was amazing. That's pretty cool. Now, we got to get into the reason for this list. And it is the best ride I've ever been on. And ironically, I, I didn't have any roller coasters. Best ride I've ever been on is... Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. It's the new dark ride at Disneyland and I think MGM Studios or Hollywood Studios, whatever it's called now. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely amazing. As far as like rides go, I mean, Disney pushed the boundaries of what they can do in almost every conceivable way. Like, have you got a chance to ride it? No. So I am actually not going to dive into the details because there's probably a lot of people listening that haven't been on it yet. So I don't want to ruin it for you. Just absolutely stunning how they're able to integrate the line experience into the overall story for the ride. I think the mechanisms they use to get the actual ride mobiles, you go in like different paths so you can ride it multiple times. Um, and then what they're able to achieve in terms of believability is unreal. And the Star Wars rides at Disneyland, which right now there's four of them. It's Star Tours, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> because I think one of the neat things they were able to do with Star Tours is they updated it so they can continually add and take out uh, the different places. So you can actually ride Star Tours like five, six times and get a different experience every time. Mm -hmm. Space Mountain is actually Hyperspace Mountain right now. So it's a variation on the original with some Star Wars elements added. Great ride. Uh, not necessarily the most Star Wars of all of them. And then Smuggler's Run, which is the one where you get to fly the Millennium Falcon. Tell you what, when I actually got to be the person on that ride that pulled the lever of the Millennium Falcon that sent it to hyperspace was like a childhood dream. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Like, I wish I had video of it. I would, I would love to have it because I, I bet I had the biggest smile and I had no idea that was going to happen. Like that it was going to be me that would do it. And the, the person who's like navigating you, they're like, oh, pull the lever. We need to go to hyperspace. And I was like, oh, my God, it's me. You know, it's like a lighting up green. And so I pull it and the seat goes back and the stars go. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like what I've dreamed of with my toy Millennium Falcon that my mom threw out when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went full circle. But none of those top rise of the resistance if you haven't been on it i totally recommend it it is a long ride it's one of the longest at disney i think in all of disney okay uh and it is worth the wait so honestly i was i was blown away i had so much fun on it and i can't wait to ride it again dope dude all right so that does it for our episode a little star wars heavy but that's never a bad thing uh yeah i yeah. love talking star wars i hope you guys can sense my passion coming through both my voice and uh this video because 
Yeah, I could. I mean, I mean, you and I used to. We used to walk around college campus and just talk about Star Wars for hours. Well, if anyone's ever listened to every episode of our podcast, we've talked about Star Wars in every episode of our podcast. So, you know, kind of amazing that it took us this long to finally do one just about Star Wars. Oh, it was the best. I loved it. Man, it's, it's so good. But all right. Well, that does it for our show today. So I hope everybody uh, listening, obviously, continue the conversations. If you have any uh, rides based on movies that you want to add to that list, be sure to send them our way. Hopefully you guys do, because there are so many of them, particularly uh, Universal, which their slogan is ride the movies. I'm sure uh, some of our listeners have some other favorites, you know, both present and past. So keep the conversations going. Be sure to leave us a five star review and help us rank a little bit higher in the podcast directories. We always appreciate it and appreciate the feedback. Uh, you can follow the podcast and all of our uh, online discussions and, and you know comments and everything at filmmakerscompass.com where all the posts are as well as the links to all of our social media channels. You can follow me at Big Kid Demon. You can follow me at NDCal5. And that does it for our show. So thank you all for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll be back next week with more movie discussion. Keep watching movies. We'll see you back here next week.